So my, my point today is to, um, to talk to you about how special Christmas is. And my guess is you say, well, we, we know that it's special. But I want to approach it from maybe just a, a little different point of view. I'd like to show that it's so special that it, that it could never be thought up in the mind of mankind. There, there's, I, I understand the story itself is, is simple. And uh, what, is, what is marvelous about it really is the fact that it's so simple that a child can, can listen to it, can understand it, uh, can be excited about it. But I think it's also wonderful because it is so complex that there's not a single man that's ever lived on planet Earth that could think up all the things that God has put into the Christmas story. And so I've just labeled it as Christmas is special. And, um, and I, I want to show you maybe uh, at least seven or eight things, some of which you'll know already, and maybe some of them will, will be new to you, that make it so that Christmas, beyond the shadow of a doubt, thank you, is, um, was something that was designed by God, completely de designed by God. And as a result of that, I hope that we can appreciate it even more. So take your Bible and go with me, first of all, to, to uh, Galatians. Strange place to start a Christmas message, isn't it? Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come. Notice it didn't say when the fullness of time. But that little extra word the is really important in there. When the fullness of the time was come. In other words, there was a time. God had a time in his mind. A time period, a time frame that was in the mind of God. And let me tell you this. It didn't begin with Adam and Eve and the fall of man. It, the Bible says that God thought of the plan of redemption before he ever created the earth. Now, now that's, that's something, isn't it? You know, we talk today about advanced planning. And God is the master at advanced planning. Because he knew the problem that would occur when man came. And when sin would come in. And so before he ever created the world, he thought about the solution to the problem that would occur. You see what I'm saying? That's a God thing. That, that's not a man thing, is it? And so he says this, that when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Isn't that interesting to say made of a woman? Because I thought it took a, a man and a woman to make a child. But already he's talking about the virgin birth, isn't he? Made of a woman, made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Who did the law go to? Well, it went to the, to the Jews, didn't it? And so he was going to have this remedy, this Savior, come as a Jew. To be under the law. Clearly under the law. And so I think that, that God had a, a great plan from the beginning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And now we come to a more familiar portion that we read at Christmas time, and we want to read just several verses beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 8. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were very much afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David 
a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swathing clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the same which was told them concerning this child. Wonderful story, isn't it? And so as we come to, to this particular passage, there's some things that I think would be worthwhile. Number one, I think that, that God, it's, it's a special purpose. And a special purpose for, for several reasons, but, but here's one of them. This is the only way to fulfill God's plan and God's promise to all, the, all mankind. You see, God made a promise, and that promise occurred after Adam and Eve fell in sin. And, and no sooner had sin occurred... Then God said, you know what, I'm going to have a plan so you can be redeemed back. And so while that plan might be 6,000 years old, as I mentioned to you, that it really started in the mind of God, and we don't know how far back it was, but it was a long way back. And so it wasn't that Adam and Eve's sin would, would surprise God, but instead it would only make it so that God would say, you know what, I'm going to promise you a way that you can be renewed back to God, you can be redeemed back to God. And that's why Christmas is necessary. Christmas wasn't necessary to have a baby. Christmas wasn't even necessary to, to have the, this idea of exchanging gifts. I'm all for that. But it had to do with God's promise and God's purpose. And the only way to, to do that, to fulfill that promise, was to have a, a Christmas story. Next, I think it was the only way that man could be redeemed back to God. You see, in order for, for God to redeem man back to him, well, it became necessary for someone who was perfect to bear our sin. And the only way someone could be perfect was for Jesus to come. And so it, the plan of redemption hinges really on the Christmas story. And then next, the master plan is, is this. When you're done, I hope today you'll say, wow, who in the world would have thought of all those things? Well, God did. And so there's a special purpose in Christmas. And it begins with a special timing. Caesar Augustus. Now, think about this for a minute because, you see, Caesar Augustus, he, he wasn't a Jew. Matter of fact, he, he had very little to do with the Jewish people, didn't like them particularly. But it's interesting that Caesar Augustus all of a sudden needs funds. That's not unusual for a politician, is it? They can always think of a reason for funds. And so what's the best way for a politician to raise money? Taxes. And so he didn't want to just tax the people in Rome. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tax all the people everywhere in all the world. But someone always gets out of taxes. There's always a way to, to, to cheat the IRS. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it so that you've got to be registered and you've got to go right back to, to your own city and every person has got to be registered from their own city. Wow, quite a scheme. He could probably run well in our modern political system, couldn't he? And think about the timing of that for, for God to allow him to run out of money in his government. And then think about the timing of the fact 
that remember God visited Mary and Joseph and said, you're going to have a child. And this child is not going to be from a physical union between Mary and Joseph. They, they had not had a physical union at that time. But it said that the Bible is very clear that this child would be born of the Spirit of God. And for, for the timing of nine months to be exactly when the tax was due, that's pretty good timing, wouldn't you say? And then think about this in terms of special timing. Can you imagine, ladies, can you imagine when you're nine months pregnant, making a journey of 90 miles? Now, someone said, well, she probably wasn't on a donkey. Okay, then ride the camel or ride the dog or ride the cart, or ride a bicycle, or walk for 90 miles when you're nine months pregnant, that'd be a real treat, wouldn't it? And so, the timing is unique. For taxes to be needed, for taxes to be declared for all the world, and then for Mary and Joseph to, to go at just the time when, when the baby's due date is. Perfect timing. Special location. How, how does... God fulfill a promise that he would be a Nazarite. He would be born in the, in, the, in the village of Nazareth, or he would live in the village of Nazareth, but he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, that's, that's pretty neat of God, isn't it? And so what does he do? Well, it's interesting because, and we've looked at this in detail before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but, but what's interesting is that both Mary and Joseph are of David's house. And I think that's important because, you see, the Bible said that the Redeemer would come as part of the human race, so it would be, it would be human-born. Next, it would be of the seed of, 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 uh, of David. And so if it's of the seed of David, then the registration would have to be Bethlehem. And so here's the lineage. In Matthew 1, it gives the, the lineage of Joseph. And in Luke 3, it gives the lineage of Mary. Both would qualify him because it would be of the house of David. But it's interesting that if Joseph would have been his real father, remember that in that line of Joseph, there's a, a king by the name of Coniah. And Coniah did a sin so bad that God said, all the way back in the Old Testament, he said that anyone who's related to Coniah can never rule on the throne of David. So if Joseph would have been the real father, Jesus could never be the real Savior and the, and the Messiah of the world. So he has the, the lineal heritage through Joseph. But his real heritage is through Mary. And you see, Solomon was, I'm going to say, the ancestor of Joseph. Solomon was one of David's sons. And that line was cursed. And if Joseph would have been the real father, that line was cursed. Jo Jesus could have never accomplished what God wanted him to do. But guess what? Virgin born. And so now he's on the lineage that's Mary's side. And that son is Nathan. And under Nathan, there was no curse. And so Jesus became a, a perfect remedy for God's plan. Both of the house of David the location could be firmly established as Bethlehem. There's another aspect of this that I think is so important. Because see, not only was it a, a special timing, a special location, but I like the fact that it was a special place. And I say that because Bethlehem is, is really a, a pretty important uh, part of the Christmas story, isn't it? 
Matter of fact, I think it's is very unique because can you imagine guessing? And the reason I say guessing or predicting might be a better word for it, because all the way back in the book of Micah, chapter 4 and chapter 5, it talks about how that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. It, it was so important to the whole Christmas story that remember that when the wise men came to Herod, and they said, as we study things, we know that a king has been born. And we want to worship the king. And Herod became jealous of a baby. Now, now it's hard to believe that a, that a full-fledged, powerful king could be jealous and intimidated by a baby, but Herod was. And so remember that he begins to do a little investigation. And it says in Matthew chapter 2, it says that, that when the question was asked, okay, where will this Messiah be born? And Matthew is real clear that he went to the chief priests and the scribes, and they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Messiah would have to be born in Bethlehem Ephrath. Isn't that great? In other words, it wasn't a puzzle just put together the last minute. Now, why is that so important? Well, several reasons. Number one, Bethlehem was known for sheep and for shepherds. Here's Jerusalem, and it's a big city. And south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. Maybe three miles, maybe five miles in those days because the cities weren't so big, but not too far away. And it was known for sheep and shepherds, and you know that for a fact because remember what David's occupation was before he was king? He was a shepherd. And even when King Saul was hunting David, remember that David had a tremendous advantage because he knew the, the hillside. He knew where the, the oasis of En Gedi was. He knew where the caves were. And when Saul would come and try to find him, well, well David could spring on him and, and surprise him on several occasions. Why? Because David was a shepherd and David's hometown was Bethlehem. But it's also interesting because, you see, King David, that's about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And Micah, about seven or eight hundred years before Jesus is born, makes mention of these facts. And the facts are so emphatically documented that it could never be an accident. Let's, let's do this. I'm going to go to, to, to Genesis 35. And so now we're going to go back, not just a thousand years before Christ was born. Let's go back about 2,500 years before he's born. But let's begin the Christmas story in Genesis chapter 35. And some of you have looked at this with me before, but I think it's, it's wonderful and it's amazing. And I think it will help us appreciate the specialness of Christmas. Genesis chapter 35. And it looks like a story just completely unrelated until you find the exact location. Genesis 35, verse 16. And they, that's, that's Jacob and his whole entourage, his whole family. They journeyed from Bethel. And there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed and she had hard labor. Now remember, Rachel was one of the four wives of Jacob. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was, was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. It's quite a story. Because you see, when she says his name, she says, Son of my sorrow. And the father says, No, I'm going to name him Benjamin. And Benjamin was the son of my right hand. 
But it's interesting because at this particular place, there's a death and a birth associated together. And based on what it says, we know that it was an Ephrath. You see, the reason why this word Ephrath is important is because there's more than one Bethlehem. Matter of fact, I used to think there was only two Bethlehems. Now I found out that there's at least four Bethlehems in Israel. Because it means house of bread. And so it wasn't uncommon to have people call this little village house of bread. Why? Because they were a farming community. They, they produced wheat and barley. And so Ephrath makes it so there's only one particular Bethlehem that would be in question here. Verse 19, and Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. So, so no one can say that this is not taking place in Ephrath, Bethlehem. We know which one. And then it goes a step further. And Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave. And this is the pillar of Rachel's grave until this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. Now we're going to stop there because to spread his tent beyond the tower... And that's the word Megdel, Edar, the, the tower of the, of the sheep, or the sheep's tower, shepherd's tower. Megdel, Edar. And it's interesting because now I want you to turn over to, to Micah, Micah chapter 4. And we're going to go first of all to, to verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Because this is the passage that was quoted by, by the chief priest and the scribes as they answered Herod when Herod wanted to know where's the competitive king being born. He said, I, I want to worship him. We know that really he wanted to murder him. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrath, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee he shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. So here, the, the prophet clearly states that this Messiah, this ruler, will come from not just Bethlehem, but Bethlehem Ephrath. Now, back up just a little ways further to chapter 4, verse 8. And it says, O tower the flock, or we would say, O Megdalidar, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee it shall come. Even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughters of Jerusalem. And so the only two times that Megdalidar, Tower of the Flock, is mentioned, it's interesting because it's mentioned in regards to Bethlehem. It's so there could be no question about it. Because Jacob made a point to set up a tower, a stone for, for Rachel, and that was set up close to a tower of the flock. Now, a tower of the flock was something that was really important. And so not just a special place, but a special building. And again, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but, but it really is unique. Because you see, a tower, and, and this is one, some of you know a little bit of the story of it. Several years ago, as I was talking to the people in Bethlehem, and I've got to know them pretty well. And uh, they know that I'm obsessed with this idea of, of looking at the details of Scripture. And so the guy, a couple years ago, he told me, he said, I, I've got a log, he said, that's just perfect. And so this is an olive wood piece of wood, a trunk of a tree. And, um, and, the, and the wood carver's in Bethlehem. And while the project is about a two-year project, he really only spent nine months, nine months of his life in, in doing the details of this. But the reason why it looks like it does is because a number of years ago, 
when uh, we first started going there, they would show us a barn, a nice stable. I'm not opposed to those, but it's just not really what it's like. Because, you see, here's how a building would be. And I'm going to say, not only was it a special location, Bethlehem, Ephrath, and a shepherd's tower, but it's a special building. Because when you built a building in those days, what you would do is you would quarry the stone wherever you wanted to build a building. So let's say you wanted to build a house. So you would, you would quarry some stone out here and you'd place it on top. You'd quarry some more stone, you'd place it on top. And so what he's done, he's pictured quarrying the stone out of here and building a shepherd's tower. This is what a shepherd's tower looks like. It's a Megdali Dar. The Megdal was so that the shepherd could be up in the tower and he would look because maybe someone was going to come in and steal the sheep. Or maybe uh, a wild animal was going to come in and eat one of the sheep. And so he would have a place, he would have a rooster, a, a watchtower. That's really what the, the, the word means. It was a watchtower for the shepherds. And so if you're building a, an inn, like a hotel, well, you'd, you'd have a big cave underneath and you'd have a, a big place to store animals. Or maybe you're just building a house. And so now you'd have a, a little stable or a little cave to store just a few animals. But what the shepherds would do is in order to protect their flock, well, they would build this and they would make it so there was a way for them to stand up in it to, to scout or to, to protect the animals. But as a result of cutting the stone out, now there would be sharp edges on the stone. And those sharp edges could damage the sheep. And so what they would do is they would take the sheep and they would wrap the sheep in something called swaddling clothes. And... So when Mary gave birth in the manger, the only clothes available were not sculptured by Tots R Us or Toys R Us or whatever the, 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 the place is, but instead it, was, it probably would have been swaddling clothes from a lamb. Furthermore, it's, it's interesting because you see, not was it a special building, and, and I want to stop here just for a minute. What if... What if there would have been room in the inn? Huh, then Jesus could have been born in a hotel. That wasn't God's plan, was it? What if a relative would have said, well, come and spend the night with us? No, you know what? God designed the plan so that the Savior of the universe would be born in the most humble setting he could possibly be born in. I don't think there's a single person that would choose to give birth to their, their child in a, in a cave, in a place where animals normally slept, but God did. And so it was probably, the surrounds were probably made of stone and, and, and not wood, and it would have sharp edges. And then there were special shepherds and special lambs. This is something that just recently I've come to appreciate. You know what? In Bethlehem, the shepherds in Bethlehem were, were different and unique. They were, they were Levitical shepherds. They were priest shepherds. They were actually priests who were doing shepherd work because on special feast days, there weren't enough sheep in Bethlehem, uh, in, in, in Jerusalem, sorry. Because Jerusalem would be a big city and they would need hundreds, maybe thousands of lambs. And so 
it was so important that shepherds who were priests, or priests became shepherds so that they could go down and they could help groom and raise Passover lambs. Now, a Passover lamb was, was incredible because a Passover lamb, remember, a lamb had to be perfect. No spot, no blemish. And so can you imagine if they were to have a, a lamb born and they put it into the cave and as the animals are, are packed in there, more and more sheep are in there, you can imagine the little lambs, they, they get squished against the sides and maybe it gets a cut ear or maybe it nicks a leg. And the minute it does that, it's no longer available as a Passover lamb. It would be disqualified. And so here's the plan that, that God has. He says to the shepherds, not probably any shepherd. I think he went to the priestly shepherds, the Levitical shepherds. You want to know why? Because he said, this is going to be a sign unto you. I don't know that it would have been a sign to everybody. I'm a city boy. I don't know that it would have caught my attention. And maybe even others all around Jerusalem, it wouldn't have caught their attention. But Levitical priest shepherds, they would know. Because that was their habit. Their habit was to take that baby and to wrap that baby in sheep's clothing. And then it says to, to, to lie that, that baby in a manger. And I like it because you see Jesus, well, the real truth is he was the real Passover lamb, wasn't he? And so here's Mary. And instead of wrapping that child in fancy children's clothes, well, she wrapped that child up in clothes probably that would have been suitable for a little lamb. And then she's going to lay that lamb not in a, in a wooden manger, but probably in a stone manger. Because you see those little lambs that were to be protected sometimes after they were born well, they would have to be placed into a, a manger, and the manger was a food trough. And the food trough was made out of stone, too. You see, God says, okay, I'm going to do this. And so he doesn't call just random people, but he calls shepherds. Now, the Bible says that shepherds were often despised by people. The Egyptians despised shepherds. Joseph was even afraid to admit that his family were shepherds. But remember, God has a special place for shepherds. He calls Jesus the good shepherd. And he goes to the priestly shepherds. And he says, I'm going to show you a sign. I want you to go and you're going to find a baby and the baby's going to be unique because the baby's going to be wrapped in clothes that you normally wrap a lamb in. And then that baby's going to be lying in a manger. He's going to be laying in a feed trough made out of stone. You see, only two two things were ever wrapped in swaddling clothes. Number one, Passover lambs. And Jesus was the Passover lamb, wasn't he? And next, people who were dead. And Jesus was born to die. In both ways, it's quite a, it's quite a special sign, isn't it? And so, special shepherds, special lambs. Special. 